everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time, and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. He's Hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. But but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for a touchdown. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Monday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us on a day where the Jacksonville Jaguars start the healing process from the biggest collapse in franchise history as they have a brand new defensive coordinator. We'll certainly talk a lot about Ryan Nielsen from Atlanta coming up in just a bit. We'll actually go to Atlanta a couple of times tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Less than 20 minutes from now, my buddy John Michaels, 680 The Fan. He is the morning host there in Atlanta. We will get his thoughts, his perspective on Ryan Nielsen. And in the 9 o'clock hour, D. Orlando Ledbetter, Falcons beat writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, will also give us his thoughts on Ryan Nielsen. Only one year in Atlanta as the defensive coordinator. He was a co-defensive coordinator in New Orleans for years prior to that. But he gets the job here in Jacksonville to replace Mike Caldwell. More on that in a moment. In case you have not seen it within the last couple of minutes, it appears the Tennessee Titans have found their Head coach Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator from Cincinnati, is finalizing a deal to enter the AFC South and become the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. Uh, No word yet, but I do not believe that Brian Callahan can bring Joe Burrow or Jamar Chase uh, or Tyler Boyd or Joe Mixon with him. He might be able to bring T. Higgins with him in free agency. We'll see. But Brian Callahan, new head coach of the Tennessee Titans. More on that in just a moment as well. And we have a Final Four in the National Football League. Divisional weekend was pretty good. You had one blowout. The other three were fairly competitive. You had two really good ones. The two night games were fantastic. And now you have championship Sunday set with four Really good teams and only two spots available for Super Bowl 58. So we are absolutely loaded on a Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark. We are certainly glad you are spending part of your Monday with us. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do give you a big deal of the night. And Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. For the last 15 days, everything's been negative, and with good reason. You go from 8-3 and three to missing the playoffs, you need time to vent. You need time to let it out, man. You need time to get things off your chest. And I feel that I've done that. I feel that you've done that. I feel that we 
have done that over the last 15 days since the Jaguar season came to an end in Nashville, Tennessee. Now we're starting to get to the point of turning the page. And I think the page is starting to be turned today with all eyes on 2024 with the addition of brand new defensive coordinator, Ryan Nielsen. Now look, I'm not going to blow smoke at you. I'm not going to sound smart on Ryan Nielsen. I don't know much about the man. That's why we're going to go to Atlanta a couple of times tonight and talk to people who covered the Falcons so you can get more information instead of me just reading numbers to you. But here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. Talking to people that cover the Falcons, they like Ryan Nielsen. Hearing from Falcon players this past year, whenever Ryan Nielsen's name came up, they like Ryan Nielsen. He's not a player's coach buddy-buddy. I think I've gotten the pretty good gist of that in watching videos of him and talking to people in Atlanta. But players respect him. He's all about attack, 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 aggression, aggression, aggression. And I like that. And truthfully, at least in what we saw out at training camp, that wasn't really Mike Caldwell's deal. Not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it's some coaches have different ways of going about it. Mike Caldwell just wasn't going to get in guys' face and, and attack, 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 destroy, destroy, destroy. That appears to be what Ryan Nielsen's going to do. He appears to be, a, in that category, the exact opposite of Mike Caldwell. He's a relatively young guy, 44 years old, will be 45 before the season starts, was only the defensive coordinator in Atlanta for one year. But again, when you add all of it up, I have no idea how good Ryan Nielsen's going to be. Neither do you. We're going to hope for the best. We're going to hope Doug Peterson and Trent Baalke, I guess, made the right decision and brought in a defensive coordinator that will turn this defense around because they were awful at the end of the year. Awful. And so we hope for that. But one thing that's clear today, 15 days after the Jaguar season ended, is now we can finally turn the page. Now we can stop venting a little bit on the collapse and we can begin to try to put the pieces back together. And you begin putting those pieces back together by replacing coaches that you fired. And today, the Jacksonville Jaguars made it official, replacing Mike Caldwell with brand-new defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen. Again, we'll go to Atlanta coming up in less than 15 minutes. John Michaels, 680 The Fan in Atlanta. We will get his thoughts on Nielsen in the 9 o'clock hour as well. D. Orlando Ledbetter, one of the best in the business. He's covered the Falcons for years for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We will talk with him about Ryan Nielsen, and I will throw a Bill Belichick question or two at our guys in Atlanta to kind of get the vibe on what's going on in the ATL is the GOAT of NFL coaching, Bill Belichick, going to be on the sidelines for the Atlanta Falcons in a very, very short amount of time. So more Ryan Nielsen talk coming up in just a bit. I'm happy the Jaguars have a brand-new defensive coordinator I think it might mean very good things for Trayvon Walker. Look, Ryan Nielsen's got a defensive line background. He is a defensive line guy. Last year, Atlanta 
had more sacks than they've had in a long time. Now, they did not turn the ball over or get turnovers a lot. They, I think, only forced the fourth or fifth fewest turnovers in the league, but they got to the quarterback a whole bunch. So you would expect, with Ryan Nielsen's background, his pedigree, things you know about him, probably very good news for Trayvon Walker, a guy like Ryan Nielsen coming to be his defensive coordinator here in Jacksonville. The divisional round of the playoffs I thought was fantastic. Hey, tip your cap to Patrick Mahomes, man, and Travis Kelsey and the Kansas City Chiefs. Everybody, including myself, oh, they got to go on the road. They got to go to Orchard Park. They got to go play in front of Bill's Mafia. And they did it, and they thrived. They come out of there with a win, Buffalo. I was talking to a buddy last night. That kind of felt like the end of something in Buffalo. Now, Josh Allen's not going anywhere. They'll still be good. But Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, Gabe Davis, who didn't play, I mean, they got a lot of free agents, and they're already going to be massively over the cap. I don't know if Buffalo is going to turn around and just be bad next year, but there's going to be a lot of change in Buffalo. I think that was their last gasp to try to beat Kansas City with the current nucleus. They couldn't do it. So we'll see what happens in Buffalo, but Kansas City moves on and they move on to Baltimore. You get Patrick Mahomes, you get Lamar Jackson on Sunday, one game to decide who goes to the Super Bowl in the AFC. That'll be spectacular. And we'll obviously talk more about these games as we get further along in the week. A couple of things on the Baltimore-Houston matchup. Number one, Baltimore wins. And I was shocked when I saw this because you think of all the great Baltimore Raven teams since they relocated to Baltimore in the mid-90s. They've never hosted an AFC championship game. Can you believe that? Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, and, and you think about how great some of those Baltimore Raven teams were. They've never been at home for an AFC championship game until this Sunday when Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs roll in. I was stunned when I heard that. Houston gets eliminated. The AFC South champion gets eliminated. Oh, Denmark. I just had people coming after me left and right yesterday on social media. All I said, because I remember last year when the Jaguars lost to Kansas City, and I remember going on social media and see Texan fans and even Texan media, Titan media as well, ripping Jacksonville. And I thought, those guys are a joke. I mean, that's laughable. Jacksonville wins the division. They haven't played in a couple of weeks, and they're going to rip Jacksonville for going toe-to-toe with Kansas City. So all I said was, Jaguar fans, just pump the brakes. Don't give the Texans too much grief. They're division champions. It wasn't their day. Oh, you would have thought I was the most awful thing on planet Earth. And they just went after the Texans and this, that, and the other. And much like I thought, A lot of Texan people today on social media, people that I know, media out there, it was comical for them, for Jaguar fans to be ripping them after yesterday. The Jaguars have been sitting on the couch for two weeks while the Texans won a playoff game and had the game at least tied with Baltimore yesterday, or yeah, on Saturday at halftime. Here's the bottom line. Houston had their locker room clean out today, and I saw a lot of quotes coming out of Houston. Oh, this is just the beginning, and and how much better are we going to be from this experience? And 
we'll be right back here next year. That's the goal. Well, yeah, that is the goal. But take a little bit of advice from us here in Duval County. They were saying the same thing about the Jaguars 365 days ago. It is a year-to-year league, man. And just because you were good this year means nothing going into next year. And the Texans get to enjoy that first-place schedule. They get to enjoy playing Kansas City next year. They get to enjoy playing Dallas next year. They get to enjoy playing Baltimore again next year. So it's going to be a little bit of a tougher schedule for Houston than what they had this season. Still a great year for the Texans. Tip your cap to them. They won the division. They proved to be better than Jacksonville. They split with the Jaguars. But this Trevor Lawrence-CJ Stroud rivalry, to me, is just getting started. And I would be very surprised when the schedule comes out in the early to mid-portion of May if we don't have a prime-time game either in Houston or in Jacksonville To me, Stroud versus Lawrence, Texans-Jaguars as a prime opportunity for either a Thursday night game or a Monday night game. In the other games, look, we talk about survive in advance, right? How many times around this time of year in the playoffs in January do you hear the term survive and advance? Well, San Francisco lived that on Saturday night. I think Green Bay outplayed them. I think Green Bay probably should have won the game. But in the end, San Francisco survived and they advanced. And in large part due to a missed kick by the Packers and some other issues the Packers had. But give San Francisco credit. In the fourth quarter when they needed a drive, Brock Purdy put a drive together. McCaffrey scored. Obviously, Jordan Love made just an awful decision there at the end of the game. The 49ers win. Maybe that was their wake-up call because if San Francisco plays against Detroit the way they played against Green Bay, Detroit will beat them. So we'll see what happens with the 49ers, but give them credit. They survived and they advanced. And then finally, when it comes to the Lions, they are America's darling. How do you not root for the Detroit Lions? Unless you live in San Francisco, unless you have ties to the 49er organization, or unless you just happen to be a San Francisco fan outside the Bay Area, everybody else in America is going to be rooting for the Detroit Lions. It is a great story. Dan Campbell is unbelievably easy to root for. Guys like Amon Ross St. Brown and the the players they have there are just spectacular. I know I'm going to be rooting passionately for Detroit. I think it would be a great story. But isn't it a little bittersweet? Aren't the Detroit Lions what we thought Jacksonville would be this year? All the expectations coming in after a nice ending to the year last year, and to Detroit's credit, they lived up to the expectations. They maybe have even surpassed the expectations. Detroit did something that Jacksonville could not do. And for that, you tip your cap to them. But it is going to be an awful lot of fun. 3 o'clock on Sunday, the AFC title game. Chiefs at Ravens. 6.30 Sunday night, the NFC title game. Detroit at San Francisco. And we'll obviously talk a lot about that, those games this week. We'll go to each market 
have our guys in those markets join the show to give us a preview of what should set up to be a terrific championship Sunday in the National Football League. Back to the Jaguars. 15 days after the season ended, 14 days after they fired defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell, they have a new defensive coordinator. Ryan Nielsen spent one year in Atlanta as the Falcons defensive coordinator. Let's learn about Ryan Nielsen. What's with strengths, weaknesses, how this whole thing came about. John Michaels, morning host, 680 The Fan in Atlanta, joins me next. Hacker After Dark on a Monday night in Jacksonville, Florida, and we're glad you're with us. It's 1010XL, and it's 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars, two weeks after firing defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell, they have a brand-new man in charge of their defense as Ryan Nielsen, the new Jaguar defensive coordinator after a one-year stint in Atlanta, also previous stint as a D coordinator in New Orleans. When it comes to Atlanta, that means my buddy John Michael, 680 The Fan up in Atlanta. You get him every morning there on 680 The Fan, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. John, how you doing, man? I, I, I'm doing great, but it seems like every time we lose a free agent or a coach, they end up in Jacksonville. <laughs> always great always great to talk to you, but I, I never knew the Atlanta to Jacksonville connection was more than normally Florida Georgia fans driving down for a football game coming up in October. Yeah, it does seem very strong. I mean, Ryan Nielsen, he was there for a cup of coffee, I guess, right? One year in Atlanta as the defensive coordinator. What can you tell Jaguar fans about him? Uh, we were excited when we got them, just seeing the Saints a couple of times a year, knowing the brand of football that they played. A lot of in-your-face, a lot of bump-and-run coverage, a lot of testing your cornerbacks and getting to the quarterback, which was something for Falcon fans seemingly for the entire existence of the franchise we were never able to do. Ryan Nielsen did a good job of transforming a terrible defense two years ago to one that was really respectable this year and before injuries really took hold was one of the top 10 defenses in the NFL. So if you're a Jaguar fan, be excited. Ryan Nielsen's going to bring a brand of defense that with the talent that you guys have down there really could mix well and make you a better defensive team than you were a season ago. You know, some guys just look like defensive coordinators, right? Truthfully, I didn't know much about Nielsen until a couple of weeks ago. And in watching videos of him, I hear the attack, aggressive, him yelling at his guys, getting after it with his guys. He just looks like your prototypical defensive coordinator. Yeah, and he absolutely acts like it. You're right. It's in your face. It's going to be bravado. It's going to be, I, I don't want to say braggadocious, but a guy that demands the best out of everybody. We have a weekly visit with Grady Jarrett, our Pro Bowl defensive tackle. And unfortunately, you know, Grady tore an ACL this year about midway through the season. But every time we talk to him about Ryan Nielsen, he flat out raved about how much he taught him, how much technique he taught him. And just the nature of guys really liking to play in this system for a guy like Ryan Nielsen because they were aggressive. I think one thing defensive players in the NFL and really at any level hate is too much thinking, too much of, okay, where do I go on this coverage? Where do I go on this type of snap? For the most part, you know, everything we talked to Grady about it was get upfield, get to the quarterback and make plays and be disruptive in the backfield. And you got to love that approach in 2023, 2024. Now when offenses seemingly have every single advantage across the NFL 
finding ways to be disruptive. And when you talk to a pro bowler and he said he loves a defensive coordinator, I'll take it from that guy's mouth, maybe more than anybody else around the league. John Michaels, 680 The Fan in Atlanta, talking about Ryan Nielsen, the brand-new defensive coordinator for the Jacksonville Jaguars. John, obviously I've been looking at numbers all day, and when you look at the numbers for the Falcons, what sticks out is a lot of sacks, right? And you go back to his days in New Orleans, a lot of sacks. He is a defensive line guy. I believe he not only was the D.C., but also the D-line coach. Is that what we should expect here in Jacksonville, an attacking D-line that will get after the quarterback? Yeah, 100%. And it won't necessarily be just one guy. If you look at the Falcons' sack numbers, it was a bunch of different guys in the range of like four to six. So sending pressure from linebackers, sending safety blitzes, sending corner fires, getting a production out of guys off the edge that may not have been there a year ago. I challenge you to go back previous years. If you ever want to ever want to puke as an NFL fan, go look at the Falcons sack numbers before this year. I think when Philly was in the Super Bowl a year ago, Philly had 70 sacks as a team. The three previous years combined, the Falcons did not combine for 70 sacks. It was like 18 one year, 19 another, maybe 23 this year. This year, now all of a sudden you're talking about over 40 sacks. And it's something that, again, we've been looking for forever. Caden Ellis came over, gave us some really good production as a free agent. Calais Campbell, we're now all hoping he comes back for another year, gave us production. Arnold E. Bacchetti, who was seen as a bust as a second-round pick, I think he ended up with six and a half sacks this year. Bud Dupree on a one-year deal was able to get some pressure done. They turned Jesse Bates into a pro bowler. Probably should have been an all-pro this year for as well as he played at safety his first year coming over. But it was really just the aggressive nature of being able to get stopped and get a quarterback to the ground, which they hadn't been able to do in the three years previous to that. You alluded to it with Grady Jarrett and, and how players feel about Nielsen. I've seen some videos online today where players just seem to like the guy. And to be honest, John, that's kind of what we need here in Jacksonville. After the collapse at the end of the year, I mean, we had guys in the postgame locker room talking about assignment football wasn't really being played. Maybe the defensive message wasn't getting through to guys any longer. And obviously that's why the defensive staff here in Jacksonville was blown out. But now Nielsen comes in, and in the comments I've seen, the players really seem to respond to him. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not players coach. Like there, there's guys in the league hacker, you know, really well. Oh, he's a players coach. Players like him because he's friendly and he, you know, he's in, uh, yeah, he's the rah, rah guy. Players like him, Ryan Nielsen, because he demands respect because the way that he's going to coach them and he's going to make them better. 99% of the players in this league want to be coached hard and want to be coached to be a better player. You know why? Better player equals better pockets. Better player equals more money to their agent and everybody else, more endorsement deals. You get quarterbacks to the ground in this league, suddenly you become a guy that's a hot commodity, whether for your own team or for somebody else, and Nielsen's done that. I know when he was with uh, New Orleans as a D-line coach and doing other things there, we hated it. Cam Jordan used to absolutely murder the Falcons. Didn't matter who they had. You'd see on third down and seven, third down and eight, they're going to walk six, seven, eight guys up to the line of scrimmage, and they're going to say, hey, figure out which guy that you need to block because we're going to get him to the ground. And the Falcons did that pre-injury. You look down the stretch of the season, obviously, Falcons were without Grady Jarrett. Uh, they were dealing without some linebackers. Some defensive backs were banged up, and they weren't as good down the stretch. But for the most part of this season, we loved what we got out of the defensive side of the ball. Falcon fans all said, man, if we were a top 15 offense, we would have won the division and probably been in the playoffs. 
couple of more for John Michaels. You get him on 680 The Fan there in Atlanta. John, people are asking me, and I have no idea, so let me ask you. With the D-line background of Nielsen, people are wondering about the secondary. Is it more uh, man-to-man, zone? How would you assess how the Falcons' secondary played in 2023? Yeah, it's a lot more challenge for your defensive backs because I talked about sending extra pressure. He is going to put defensive backs in position a lot of times where they're going to play man-to-man and they're going to be up in bump coverage, really trying to disrupt timing and everything else. Look at what Jesse Bates did, though. If you go back and watch some of the film from him this year, they did allow their their veteran, and I say veteran, he was a guy that they brought over in free agency, to kind of roam a little bit. But Bates had such a great year, six interceptions, fumble cause, you know, fumble recoveries. He was able to be a playmaker all over the field, and they gave him some freedom. And I don't know if that's just Bates, to be honest with you, or if that was all scheme. But even if you go back to the times he was in New Orleans, Marshawn Lattimore would walk up and just mug receivers. All right, you're going to have to get off bump coverage, and we're going to chase you all over the field, and we're going to try to cover you you know, less amount of time than your quarterback's going to get to throw the football. So it is very aggressive. I think if you have defensive backs that like to thrive in man coverage, press coverage, do some different things that way, I think they're going to love seeing Ryan Nielsen come over. Now, John, they basically fired everybody on the Jaguar defensive staff. I think they only kept one or two assistants. So they got to start over basically there. You bring in Nielsen as the D coordinator. Any idea, you know, whether he brought anybody with him from New Orleans to Atlanta? Could he potentially bring anybody from Atlanta to Jacksonville, in your opinion? Yeah, he probably can. And that's, you know, obviously the Falcons are going through a full coaching search. What was interesting, the Falcons had originally blocked Ryan Nielsen from interviewing for any defensive coordinator job. They said, hey, we're not going to allow you to to, to interview for a lateral move, uh, which is going from D.C. to D.C., but I think now as you start to read the tea leaves for the Falcons, you know, it's potentially Bill Belichick, it's potentially Jim Harbaugh. Those are the two guys that are really getting second interviews. Most of them are going to want to bring their entire staff. So anybody that's on the staff for the Falcons could be open for pillage and plundering. I'm not 100% sure who it would be at this point in time if Ryan Nielsen would have anybody that he wants to bring with him. Uh, but just kind of go up and down that Falcons coaching roster. Anybody that had ties to him in New Orleans, I could very easily see in them move, especially now with the Falcons sort of giving, you know, carte blanche for teams to come in and interview the guys that are currently still on the staff. I did want to throw a Belichick question at you, John, but as we begin to wrap up the Nielsen part of this, what I like about you, man, you don't sugarcoat a whole lot. If a guy sucked, <laughs> you'll say he sucked. But in listening right. to you, you seem to be pretty high on Ryan Nielsen. Is this a good hire, in your opinion, for the Jaguars? Yeah. A hundred percent. And there will be Falcon fans. If you go on social media, which I don't always suggest getting any type of uh, opinion from social media, but we all do it all the time. And I see what you have to go through with Jaguar fans. So God <laughs> bless you. <laughs> I have to deal with it with Falcon fans all the time. There were moments this year where the defense let us down. Um, late scrambles to Joshua Dobbs, late scrambles to Kyler Murray, a nine minute touch or yeah, it was a nine minute touchdown drive out of the Carolina Panthers, which almost uh, essentially eliminated from the playoffs. But a lot of those were injury concerns. I think it is a good hire. He is an up-and-coming defensive stud in this league. You guys, I, I would argue, have better pieces on the defensive side of the ball than the Falcons did for a lot of this year. And again, he, for the most part, had us as a top-10 unit, which is something Falcon fans, again, in Matt Ryan's career, they had, I believe, two years statistically where they were top-10 defensively. And they had it this year when, of course, you're trotting out Desmond Ritter 
and Taylor Heineke and Logan Woodside. And I think I threw like four passes earlier on this season. John Michael, 680 the fan. John, as we wrap up, Bill Belichick, man, that seems to be the way it's trending, right? A second interview with Arthur Blank and some higher-ups there in the Falcons organization. I mean, what is the level of excitement in the ATL about the GOAT of coaching potentially coming to Atlanta? You would think for a team that's gone six straight losing seasons, hasn't played in the playoffs uh, since I was a sideline reporter. Maybe that corresponds. I actually don't think it does at all. But they haven't played in the playoffs since they played the Eagles back when the Eagles had Nick Foles starting at quarterback years ago. You would think Falcon fans would be ecstatic. We did a Twitter poll, and again, unofficial Twitter poll. 80% of Falcon fans are against bringing Bill Belichick in. He's on my list. I mean, who the hell are we to be beggars when it comes to hiring a head coach and if Bill Belichick wants to come, let's see if he can ride off into the sunset with one last hurrah. I'm less than enthused with Belichick. I'd rather have Harbaugh. Personally, I'd rather have Mike Vrabel or one of these hot shot assistants, whether it's Ben Johnson or Bobby Slowick or Brian Callahan for the Cincinnati Bengals. Belichick's there. He'd be better than some of the also rands that have kind of been brought in through the building. But I'm just not in favor of hiring a 71-year-old coach who's bringing his old band, you know, Josh McDaniels and Matt Patricia and guys like that, and not bringing Tom Brady in his 30s or 40s because that's the biggest problem for the Falcons. I don't want stopgap, and I feel Bill Belichick becomes stopgap. Kirk Cousins becomes stopgap if you kind of put two and two together, and the Falcons are going to be looking three or four years from now doing the same song and dance. I want a guy that's going to come here and be 10 years and win some damn games and make it back to the playoffs because I'm sick of watching in January and the Falcons not being anywhere around. John, final question. It's interesting you say that because the Falcons are doing all sorts of due diligence on these interviews. When it's all said and done, do you believe that it will ultimately be Bill Belichick? Yeah, I do. Um, You know, I thought personally Friday I flew down to Miami for a basketball game, I thought by today we'd be talking about Bill Belichick being the head coach. I do love that they're doing a due diligence and a real search. Harbaugh's got his second interview coming up this week. I think Raheem Morris got a second interview. They've done the coordinator deal, and a lot of them that they're talking to, they're still having to deal with, you know, obviously the playoff ramifications and teams playing in championship games. But I ultimately think Arthur Blank, and again, our owner's in his 80s, he knows, you know, mortality is kind of a thing at this point and he wants to win just as much as any other owner around the NFL, I think he's going to go with a trusted guy in Bill Belichick, bring him in, go a veteran quarterback, maybe draft a replacement for a couple of years from now, and hope they can milk one last bit of championship, you know, kind of uh, pedigree out of Bill Belichick and try to bring something to Atlanta a lot better than the 7-10 and 10 we've seen over all these years. John Michaels is probably the biggest Miami Hurricane fan in the state of Georgia. Quickly, how excited about Cam Ward are you? Well, it's going to make me – first of all, I'm going to be in Gainesville regardless, so Gator fans, be be wary. I'll be a 50-year-old maniac running around there <laughs> ready to go. Honestly, Hacker, it's made me where I want to go to more games this year. You know, Miami hadn't had a – I don't want to say a great quarterback. They haven't had a really good quarterback since De'Eric King about three years ago, Van Dyke's first year notwithstanding. But the one knock on Mario Cristobal had always been, can he recruit quarterback? Go back to his time at Oregon. He only recruited one – high-level quarterback that was a kid in Ty Thompson who now just transferred to like South Alabama or something like that so he obviously wasn't as good as the preseason and the and the recruiting rankings would say Cam Ward's the type guy you could come in with Shannon Dawson on offense and a lot of pieces behind a really good offensive line and give Miami a puncher's chance to be 9-10 win good 
in 2024. I love it. I cannot wait until the end of August. I'll be in the swamp sweating my butt off watching the Canes beat the Gators. John Michaels is our guy up in Atlanta, 680 The Fan, every morning there in the ATL. John, appreciate you joining us on short notice, brother. We'll talk again soon. Anytime, Hacker. Great to talk to you. There you go, John Michaels, 680 The Fan up in Atlanta. And I love the perspective of a guy that covered Ryan Nielsen every day. And look, that's why I get these guys on, right? I don't know anything about Ryan Nielsen. I mean, up until a couple of weeks ago, I guess, when I heard the name, why was there any reason for me to know anything about Ryan Nielsen? But you talk to people, you gather information, and based on the information I've gathered and based on talking to guys that I trust, like John Michaels up in Atlanta, I'm pretty happy with the hire. Now, the offseason, and and we have this conversation usually deeper into the offseason, but it can apply in the month of January, particularly when you're hiring a new coordinator or a new general manager or a new head coach. The offseason is these months of hope, right? Everybody is hopeful right now if you're not one of the four teams that are still playing. Every head coach that is hired, the fan base will believe he is the right man for the job, and the fan base will believe he is the perfect hire. Look at Titans Twitter right now as a prime example of that with Brian Callahan from Cincinnati. Every fan base, when they hire a general manager right now, again, the right man for the job, the perfect hire. And like us here in Jacksonville, when you hire a coordinator that none of us knew two and a half weeks ago, we all tend to get excited about it. And that's great. That's what it's all about. Hope. Reality sets in in September for some. So we got a long time to be hopeful. And I hope that Doug Peterson and Trent Baalke and the Jaguars made the right hire. Everything I'm hearing from people like John Michaels and people in Atlanta tells me the Jaguars made a great hire. We won't know anything, obviously, until September, so we get to be hopeful for the next eight months. 641-1010 is the phone number on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. We'll go back to Atlanta in the 9 o'clock hour. My buddy D, Orlando Ledbetter, of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution will join us to talk more about Ryan Nielsen. It is also Monday night on Hacker After Dark. That means we do a little Monday night coaching with Campo. As former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, my buddy Dave Campo will stop by in less than 20 minutes. Coming up next, back in to the NFL playoffs, the divisional round that was Championship Sunday that will be. That's next. Hacker After Dark on a Monday here on 1010XL. and Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Yes, it is. Monday night, Jacksonville, Florida. Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM, less than 15 minutes away or so. A little Monday night coaching with Campo. My buddy Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, will react to the divisional round. We'll preview Championship Sunday coming up at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour. Back to Atlanta, D. Orlando Ledbetter covered the Falcons for years for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We will get D. Orlando on to talk about Jaguar new defensive coordinator, Ryan Nielsen. All right, divisional round this past weekend. A couple of things that stood out. Number one, uh, boy, Travis Kelsey and Jason Kelsey are taking over the planet. You know, the Manning cast has been phenomenal, 
And from a brother's standpoint, Peyton Manning and Eli Manning are the standard when it comes to terrific play on the field, but then making a terrific living after football as a brother combo. Now, look, the Kelseys can't hold a candle to the Mannings as far as on field, right? You got two quarterbacks compared to a tight end and a center. But I got to tell you, man, uh, when Jason Kelsey calls it a career, rumor has it it might be now. And when Travis Kelsey ultimately calls it a career, whether they have the Kelsey cast or whatever, they're going to have it. They are unbelievable. They completely stole the show last night in Buffalo. Travis Kelsey from his on-the-field work and Jason Kelsey just because he's the man. When you can chug cold beer in 27-degree temperature and take your shirt off and scream into the uh, rafters there after your brother scores a touchdown, all while you're in a box with Taylor Swift, and then he gets out into the crowd and he's taking pictures and selfies, and they didn't even show this on the broadcast. Jason Kelsey's out tailgating with the Bills Mafia, drinking alcohol out of bowling balls in the tailgate. That guy is the man. Love everything about the Kelseys, and that was a lot of fun last night. It wasn't fun for Buffalo. Um, I say this from time to time, and I really mean it. So Tyler Bass, right, the kicker for the Bills, then, Mark, I don't know if you saw this today. He had delete. He had to delete his social media accounts. And apparently the reason he had to delete his social media accounts is he was getting death threats and other such things from fans. It is. It happens way too often. It is ridiculous. I mean, what kind of human being do you have to be to go log on to a social media site and threaten to kill a guy and call him every name under the sun and do this, that, and the other for missing a field goal during a football game to the point where he felt compelled that he had to delete his social media account for he and his family's safety. A lot of keyboard warriors out there, just the scum of the earth, the absolute scum of the earth. For, I mean, look, it's one thing if I, – I can't even justify anybody doing it. I can't justify anybody doing it. But if you're a kid, I mean, not necessarily making death threats, but that's something that, you know, 12- and 13-year-olds do that watch WWE or AEW, right? They'll go on. They'll make threats like their favorite wrestlers or, or whatever. If you are a grown man going on social media – First off, I think it's ridiculous enough that grown men go on there and, and talk bad about people as is. If, if you do that, you need to take a long look in the mirror about where you're going in life. If I were a betting man, I would say not a lot of successful people are at night spending their time on social media ripping football players. That's just a guess. A guess. I would say it's probably people that are not very successful at life, which may be part of the problem right there. That might, you know, be the answer. But if you're a grown man threatening somebody over a football game on Twitter, man, you are the absolute scum of the earth. And there is no other word for it. You are a disgrace to everybody. Uh, and, and Denmark, I just, it happens way too often I mean, the guy obviously feels bad enough 
But to have to delete social media today, I thought was pretty ridiculous. Yeah, it seems like it happens too often. Like, I don't even, I guess a death threat's like, I'm going to kill you, and that's a death threat now, which is, I don't know, it's kind of over the top. I understand fandom and, you know, fan is short for fanatic, but, I mean, in my opinion, you didn't lose the game because of the kicker. You lost the game because the Bills scored seven points in the second half, and the three, the final three drives for the Bills were two three and outs and a missed field goal. And look, Josh Allen basically said it last night when asked about the Bills' rivalry with the Chiefs. He said it's not a rivalry. We always get our ass kicked. And that's fair. Now, they beat them in the regular season, but Kansas City has now won three straight in the playoffs to eliminate Buffalo. And if you're the Bills and you've put all your resources into this window of football over the last four or five years – and you don't even have an AFC championship game appearance to show for it. They haven't gotten any deeper than the divisional round. Man, that's tough. That is tough. And again, they got a ton of free agents coming up. They're already projected to be over the cap as is. So we'll see about Buffalo. You know, the other teams that lost, Tampa Bay, it's a good year for the Bucks. People didn't expect anything of them. They certainly didn't expect Tampa Bay to win a playoff game. But Baker Mayfield and the Buccaneers beat Philadelphia up last week. They go to Detroit, give them a contest. I thought yesterday that the graphic on NBC was wrong. The Lions took a knee way too quick on second down. And then they took a knee way too quick on third down. There were like 30 seconds to go in the game. And I'm staring at the graphic on NBC as the players are coming out to greet each other. And Tampa Bay had a timeout. They're down eight. Detroit takes a knee. Now, they were in field goal range. It would have been about a 50-yard kick. But never in my life have I seen a team just say, yep, we're done, 30 seconds to go. We'll take the timeout to the house. That's our season. I mean, I think the way Todd Bowles justified it today was essentially don't postpone the inevitable. Are you kidding You've worked since April to be one of the last eight teams standing. You're down eight, 30 seconds to go. They have to kick a 50-yarder. If they make it, the game's over. But at least make them try it. They didn't even make them try it. If Detroit misses that kick, you all of a sudden have the ball at your own 35-yard line with a chance to complete a pass or two to at least get a Hail Mary into the opposing end zone. I could not believe Tampa Bay just took a timeout with them back to Tampa. That was ridiculous. But aside from that, good year for the Bucks. Disappointing ending. Detroit moves on. Green Bay has got to be kicking themselves. They outplayed San Francisco. They outplayed them. If you look at the stat line, if you just watched the game, you would have thought Green Bay was the better team. They just made a couple of mistakes. To San Francisco's credit, they did not play their best game, particularly when they lost Debo Samuel. But at this time of year, as we talked about when we started the show tonight, it's about survive and advance. And that is what San Francisco did. They survived and they advanced. Jordan Love's going to be a great player. But boy, that was a terrible throw to end the game. Not only did he throw it back across his body, not only did he throw it into triple coverage, he threw it short. Your guy was never going to catch it. There were three guys there, 
and you threw it across your body. That's a negative, negative, negative scenario for a quarterback. He'll learn. Brett Favre did it. I mean, Green Bay, I guess, is used to that. But if you're a Green Bay fan, as much as it sucks for the next couple of days, and it will, the future looks very bright there. And as far as Houston goes, I mean, look, we can't say much to them. They beat us for the division. C.J. Stroud and that team will be the favorites coming into 2024 in the AFC South. If I had to guess, I'd say every publication outside of Jacksonville will pick Houston to win the AFC South. They will be the favorite. The expectation will be for D'Amico Ryans and C.J. Stroud to once again win this division. And it'll be incumbent on Jacksonville to do what Houston did this year and to make that inaccurate. And we'll see. We'll see what the Jaguars do in free agency. Houston has a lot of things to figure out. Remember, Anthony Richardson is going to come back healthy for Indianapolis. We'll see what happens there. And tonight, Tennessee has got their brand-new head man as they are set to hire Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. And I wanted to talk about that really quick before we get to Dave Campo. We always, like I said, we talk about hope, right? Any coach that is hired right now by a team, any head coach is the right man for the job. And I'm watching Titans Twitter over the last 30 minutes. Tennessee fans and Tennessee media, you would have thought they have just hired the next Sean McVay. They are going nuts in Nashville right now for Brian Callahan. They think it's the greatest hire on planet Earth. And good for them. They're hopeful. It may very well be. But, man, this Callahan hire Denmark is getting railed nationally. Pro football talk and other outlets are saying, you you fired Mike Vrabel for this guy? I mean, he didn't even call plays in Cincy, right? right? And he doesn't forget to bring Joe Burrow with him, which is another issue. Uh, doesn't get to bring Jamar Chase with him is another issue. But it just goes to show you a local narrative versus a national narrative. Tennessee thinks this is the greatest thing on earth. The national people are laughing at him right now. Someone's going to be right. Someone's going to be wrong. Unfortunately, we have to wait till September to figure it out. But I think what happened with Callahan, Tennessee knew they wanted to hire him. Callahan was supposed to go to two additional interviews, including Carolina, tomorrow. And I don't think Tennessee wanted him to leave the building without a contract. So Tennessee made sure they got it done tonight. And he is the brand new coach. So now three jobs are filled. New England with Gerard Mayo, Las Vegas with Antonio Pierce, and Tennessee finalizing the deal for Brian Callahan. You still have openings, obviously, with the Chargers, with the Falcons, with the Panthers, with the Commanders. There are still many jobs to be filled. Bill Belichick is the rumor in Atlanta. Jim Harbaugh getting a second interview with L.A. Now the coaching dominoes have started to fall I would imagine by the end of this week, most of these head coaching spots will be filled. One hour down, one hour to go. Jacksonville, we're with you till 10 o'clock. We're glad you're with us on a Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark. It is Monday night. That means Monday night coaching with Campo. My guy Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Let's review the divisional round. Let's look ahead to championship Sunday. Dave Campo with me next on Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Monday evening. 
Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Monday evening, and we are glad you are with us. The divisional round of the playoffs is in the books. Championship Sunday is around the corner, and good grief, the games we have on tap with Detroit heading to San Francisco and, of course, Kansas City heading to Baltimore. Let's recap Divisional Weekend and preview Championship Sunday with my friend Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. It's always Monday night coaching with Campo here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, you know, it was a great uh, couple of days. I didn't really move uh, from the TV. Uh, I had a chance to, to see all the ball games, and, and that was really kind of fun, other than the fact that our Jags are not in there. Yeah, that still is very bitter for a lot of people here. And let's kind of go in order, Coach. Let's go back to Baltimore on Saturday. Boy, 10-10 at halftime, and you're thinking, all right, you know, maybe this Texan team could pull the upset. But good grief, in the second half, it was all Baltimore. They were very, very good. And I think C.J. Stroud, Coach, admittedly, uh, they don't have as much talent as Baltimore, but you could tell the rookie – was sort of affected by that Ravens defense there in the second half. Well, you know, the more times you get pushed out of the pocket and pressure on you, you know, that's really the name of the game in the NFL. We know that. We've been talking about it, how we didn't have a good enough pass rush in Jacksonville for a while now. So, you know, there's no question that uh, Stroud is going to be a, an outstanding quarterback in the league if you give him time you know, he can dice you up. And Baltimore, you know, obviously they have a outstanding defense and, and a pressure defense. And so, you know, that game, uh, it's interesting because when you have two teams that are, you know, in in the situation that they're in where they're playing in the, in the divisional round, uh, you know, it, it's going to be tight in the first quarter, in the first half. You're not going to get – Teams getting blown out. But then in the second half, the real cream comes to the top. And I think Baltimore certainly, certainly did that. You know, you look at Lamar Jackson, there was a lot of pressure on him going into that game, a 1-3 and three playoff record. Thought he played well. Certainly think he could play a lot better. He's going to need to play better against Kansas City. But what were your thoughts on Lamar Jackson on Saturday? Well, I think Lamar Jackson is who he is. Uh, I think he he's a, a – a, Excellent quarterback. He can throw the football. He's got a really good arm. But really, when it when it gets to the, the point where it, uh, there have to be plays made, that's who he is. And I think, you know, you, there are maneuverable quarterbacks. And then there's Lamar Jackson. If he gets on the move, uh, you know, tough tackle. You know, you're going to have a hard time putting him on the ground. And, you know, he's he's a special cat when that happens. And he's the type of guy that can take over the game with his ability to make plays. And so, you know, he, he is who he is. Uh, they are a, you know, run-first football team, including him. And then they've got some playmakers on that ball club. Coach, final thought about this game, the Texans this year. It comes to an end, unfortunate, 34-10. I'm sure they're not happy about it. But an overwhelming success, right? Year one for D'Amico Ryans. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, they'll have probably the rookie of the year coach and the rookie of the year player. You know, I think what they've done is they've proven that they can put talent on the field and, you know, they've lost talent. You know, when they lost Dell, they lost a, a, a big playmaker. So, you know, they're going to be a team to reckon with going forward. 
Uh, I really kind of like that. You know, you've heard me say before that iron sharpens iron. I think if you've got a division like the AFC South could be with with Stroud, with Richardson, if he comes on when he gets back, uh, you know, and you don't know what Levis is going to be. So to me, uh, I, I'm kind of glad that they've done what they've done. Now they've got to prove it the second year as well. I'd be very surprised Texans-Jaguars next year if one of those games was not a primetime game when you have C.J. Stroud going up against Trevor Lawrence. Monday night coaching with Campo, my buddy Dave Campo here with us on Hacker After Dark. Coach, to Saturday night, and we always hear the saying, survive and advance. And I think that's never more true with San Francisco. Boy, they survived, Coach. I don't know if they played better than Green Bay, quite frankly, but at the end of the game, they had more points on the scoreboard, and that's all that matters. Yeah, that that was a tough ball game. And I think all of these games, you know, again, there's a team like Baltimore that can explode in the second half or whatever. But I think most of the games are pretty uh, close uh, going in. And and that was another one. I, you know, Green Bay, obviously, uh, that quarterback, Love, uh, has proven that he's one of those guys that, would be in the in the conversation for rookie or not rookie of the year but uh his really first starting year would parallel with Stroud in my opinion in fact when you look at the two of them they look a lot alike as far as their ability to extend plays and do those kind of things and they gave San Francisco all they could handle uh and of course them losing Debo that was a big factor you know people say that that uh you know, you everybody has injuries and everybody has to adjust and all these things. But there are some guys that are integral in the game plan going into a ball game that when they go out, that's a big, big difference. Now, over time, you might be able to replace somebody that's out for the year or whatever. But when you lose one in a big game like that one and you lose Debo Samuel, who I'm sure was a big factor going in, uh, that is a factor. Jordan Love will want that last throw back. Obviously, it was not a good ending to the year, but that doesn't take away from what he became down the stretch. And, Coach, you competed against Brett Favre. You competed against Aaron Rodgers. I'm not certainly putting Love in that category yet, but, man, he's got all the makings to keep that quarterback just unbelievable play there in Green Bay going, doesn't he? Yeah, the interesting thing is that one of my nephews, Taylor Ford, was on the coaching staff at uh, Utah State when he played, and he told me then, uh, you know, everybody said, well, you know, he's behind Rodgers, he's not going to ever play, and this and that. He told me then that the guy had a chance to be a really outstanding player because his ability to move around and do those kind of things. And, you know, to be honest with you, that throw that he made at the end, which he wished he had back, is a Brett Favre and a, and a Aaron Rodgers play, uh, but he just didn't get it there. Uh, he's going to be very good, it looks like. Uh, he's one of those guys that can process quickly, and he can use his legs when he has to. I also thought, final thought on Green Bay, they're the youngest team in the league. I thought LaFleur, their head coach, really stood out. Now, a lot of people gave him grief about the way things ended with Aaron Rodgers, but clearly, it looks like Matt LaFleur is going to be somebody to be reckoned with there in the NFC for quite some time. Well, there's no question that you, when you see a team put something together like that and you put a roster together like that and you make a decision to uh, you know, go with a young quarterback, obviously you've got to be a good talent evaluator as well. And it looks like he is that because 
he's put together a group over there of re- kind of no-name receivers that that have done pretty darn well, and I think that's something that you have to deal with going forward. Monday night coaching with Campo. Dave Campo here with us on Hacker After Dark. Baltimore advances, San Francisco advances. Now to yesterday, and let's begin in Detroit. Coach, how did Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes, the GM, how did they do this? They are everything, Coach, honestly, that we thought Jacksonville was going to be this year. Well, first of all, I think it's an attitude and a uh, – you know, and, and I, I think we kind of lost it here in Jacksonville during the course of the year with a few injuries here and there. We just didn't have the, the staying power. But they've got the staying power. Uh, and, and it really starts with the, the overall uh, roster uh, draft and, and everything they put together there. You know, they've got, uh, you know, everybody said, uh, you know, that I don't know why they, they were going to take a, a running back with the 12th pick of the draft. Well, you can see in the game why they took him. You know, I think it's uh, talent evaluation, and I think it's an attitude. You know, uh, listen, uh, Detroit's a tough city, and, you know, they need a tough, tough coach to represent them, and they've got him in Campbell. And I think that that is the way that team uh, sustained all the way through the year. Uh, And let me tell you something. Amon Ra. I don't know how he lasts until the fourth round. I was with him at, at uh, SC, and the guy is a playmaker uh, extreme. And, uh, you know, they've been able to utilize him, and, and that's been big for them as well. You know, final thought on Tampa, Baker Mayfield obviously threw that pick to end the game. It was almost desperation. I don't really fault him for that. Did Baker Mayfield do enough, Coach, in your mind to kind of change the narrative on him, and did he do enough to make you think Tampa – wants him as their long-term answer at quarterback. Well, you know, it's funny because we were watching the game and, and Kay, my wife, doesn't really watch games until it gets to the playoffs. And and she said, is he going to be the starting quarterback going forward? So she's been keeping up with him. That's an interesting thing. Uh, the guy has got pedigree. He's done some really nice things. Who are you going to replace him with? You know, it, it depends on, you know, if you can get a – a young quarterback that that has the same uh, abilities, uh, it probably not. But I think he did enough with that team this year to say this guy uh, has a chance to to advance us uh, in the playoffs. And you know that's the key to the whole thing. It's who 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 have you got to replace me? Couple of more for our head coach Dave Campo here on Hacker After Dark. After Detroit advanced yesterday, it was all about Buffalo and Kansas City, and what a game last night. Certainly lived up to the hype, and give Mahomes credit. He heard all week that he has never gone on the road in the playoffs, and you have to go into Orchard Park in front of Bill's Mafia. Coach, you know that team very well, obviously, from your days, and for Mahomes to go in there and do what he did just adds to the already Hall of Fame legacy. Well, I think that there's no question that he's the best quarterback in the league, and when I say is he the most talented in every aspect? I don't know that. But he is one of the guys that can take the club on his on his back and, and make plays. The guy's a magician. And, you know, you can say whatever you want, but he can do it from the pocket, out of the pocket, on the move, whatever. And, and there's no question that the guy uh, is a competitive guy that, that understands the magnitude of games they've been in them. 
you know, they, they're, they're three and two in AFC championship games. So this is going to be an interesting uh, game coming up. And, but they, they have uh, kind of the same firepower that you need to win the whole thing. You know, they've got the tight end. They've got some receivers that are making plays for them. They got Pacheco who uh, runs violently all the time, but Mahomes is the, is the key to the whole thing. And, it's interesting with Josh Allen because, you know, there was a lot of pressure on Josh Allen, but Josh Allen really tried to take that team uh, on his on his back as well. And, and that was two really magician quarterbacks playing against each other. Last night felt like the end of something in Buffalo. I was listening to Buffalo Radio this morning, and they're projected to be well over the cap already, and they have like 25 unrestricted free agents. I mean, it's going to be a crazy situation this offseason in Buffalo to get under the cap and to try to remain competitive. Coach, you've been in the you were in the NFL for decades. Do you know after a loss like that with so many guys hitting free agency that last night may have been the end of the Bills at least this version of them? Well, I think it does go in windows. You know, you have so many years to to put something together and the key you just said the key when you've got a lot of free agents, that's what happens in the National Football League. And and the, the key to the whole thing, in my mind, is, uh, you know, know, like Bill Belichick in a way, know the guys to let go and know the guys to keep. And then it's talent evaluation because you got to retool your football team. It's very difficult in the NFL. It's not like college where you can bring in, you know, 25 guys or whatever and hit on, on uh, 10 of them. You know, you can't bring that many guys in that are that are quality NFL football players. So uh, they're going to have to retool a little bit, and, and that's very difficult to do. Now, you, I don't believe you had to deal with this. I know you didn't deal with this in Dallas because you did this to Buffalo. Buffalo can't beat Kansas City. They, they just can't. I mean, they've lost to them three times now in the playoffs. Uh, boy, that's a bitter pill to swallow. I mean, when a team has your number like that, is it all about trying to figure out how to beat that team? Is that your sole motivation in the offseason? Well, I think that's a big part of it. You know, you got to beat the guys that you know are going to be there at the end. And and there there aren't a lot of teams that you can just say at the beginning of the year they're going to be there. But there are some teams that you know they're going to be there. And Kansas City is one of them for Buffalo. Uh, and, you know, that's something that they have to say, okay, you know, what do we need to add to beat that team because we're probably going to see them again in a critical situation. The thing about Buffalo, I said this to my wife last night, uh, they're snake bit because, you know, they've been close over the years. You know, they went to the Super Bowl four times in a row uh, the, the two years that we beat them back in the day in Dallas uh, and lost all four of them. And it's just one of those things where, uh, you know, what does it take for us to get over the hump? And sometimes you get to the end of the deal without getting over the hump, and maybe that might be them. Yeah, you saw the genuine emotion from Bills fans last night. I almost felt sorry for them. They have put up with a lot of heartbreak there in Buffalo following the Bills. Final moments with Dave Campo here on Hacker After Dark. All right, Coach, Championship Sunday. Let's begin in the National Football Conference, Detroit. We'll go out to San Francisco. Look, here's the bottom line. If you're not a 49er fan or a member of that organization, 
you're not going to have anybody rooting for you this week. The entire country, I think, is rooting for the Detroit Lions to finally get into the Super Bowl. That'll be a powerful motivator, I think, for both teams. Coach, on paper, looks like it's going to be a fantastic game. How do you see it, Detroit and San Francisco? Well, I'll say this. Uh, if if Debo, San, uh, if Debo doesn't play, the Detroit's got a great shot, in my opinion. Because you know they're a little different team without him in the in the ball game, so you don't know what's going to happen there. But the momentum and the excitement is going to be with Detroit. There's no question, and I think they've got the firepower. Uh, the whole key is going to be whether or not they can defensively handle San Francisco, because I think San Francisco, uh, with with the the firepower they have. Uh, is is pretty tough to bring down in the end. And I think it's two pretty good defenses playing. Uh, I think San Francisco's is probably better. So, uh, you know, they've got some experience, uh, you know, playing uh, against uh, the Detroit's quarterback. So this is going to be a heck of a ball game. If Debo plays, I'm going to pick San Francisco. But if not, I'm going with Detroit. Detroit's been very good at home. Of course, they got to go out to San Francisco on Sunday. That is the nightcap on Sunday. Before that, the American Football Conference Championship game. I mean, what else really needs to be said, Coach? Kansas City, Baltimore, Mahomes against Lamar. That should be an incredible scene on Sunday. Yeah, I'm going with Baltimore in that one because, you know, this is the first team in history that has an all-pro quarterback and the number one defense in the National Football League. So, you know, my background is, if you've got the quarterback and you know I'm a defensive guy, if you've got the number one defense, I'm going with them. But when you really look at it, the champion is the champion until they're not the champion. So, you know, this, that is going to be an outstanding ball game as well because of the fact that they do have Mahomes. And, and this is the best defense at Kansas, uh, at, uh, Kansas City that Mahomes has had since he's been there. So this is another ball game that's going to go to the wire, in my opinion. I think both of these are two outstanding uh, AFC and NFC championship ball games. And the crazy thing, Baltimore, as good as they've been, they've never hosted an AFC championship game in Baltimore. That's crazy to think about, but that's reality. Coach, you said something there. Final question. You mentioned being a defensive guy. A couple of defensive guys are now head coaches, Gerard Mayo in New England Antonio Pierce in Las Vegas, two former linebackers now taking over as NFL head coaches. That must warm your heart seeing the defensive guys getting promoted to head coaches. Well, I think people are figuring out a little bit that it's not all about those young offensive coaches. You know, the game of of football, you look at D'Amico Ryans, uh, there's others. I can point out a bunch of them now that are – their defensive coaches. The key to those guys, obviously, it makes me feel good. And the key is putting the right staff together. And, you know, one of them, obviously, is to have a quarterback and have somebody that can coach a quarterback. So, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that the the defensive coaches get a shot. I think Quinn still has a shot. Uh, there's there's a number of guys in the league, that uh, teams that feel like the attitude and everything, the aggressiveness of defensive coaches – still means something in the league, even though it's an offensive league. 
You get Dave Campo every Monday here on Hacker After Dark for Monday Night Coaching with Campo. Coach, next week, Super Bowl 58. The matchup will be figured out. We'll review Championship Sunday and take an early look ahead to the Super Bowl. Appreciate you, my friend. My my pleasure. Uh, always enjoy talking with you, Hack. And uh, let's let's uh, watch a, a real good uh, championship weekend coming up. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. It has been two weeks since the Jaguars relieved defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell of his duties, and they have a brand-new defensive coordinator hired. Ryan Nielsen of the Atlanta Falcons spent last year in Atlanta as the D.C. He now will come to Jacksonville to try to rebuild what was a defense that faltered very much down the stretch here in the 2023 season. With that, let me head up to Atlanta. One of our guys up there, of course, is D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. D. Orlando, how are you, man? Hey, I'm doing great, Ryan. Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, buddy, we always appreciate it, and thank you for joining us on short notice all right, Ryan Nielsen, he wasn't in Atlanta very long, I believe only one year as the defensive coordinator. Tell Jaguar fans about him a little bit. Yeah, he came from the Saints and uh, was brought in to uh, put together you know, a unit here that they had spent a lot of money on a free agency, and they proved, improved dramatically on his watch in the one year, uh, doubling their sack totals from 21 to 42, uh, finishing in the top 10 against the pass and uh, right outside the top 10 in yards allowed at 11. So those were uh, good enough numbers to, you know, maybe make it to the playoffs if you got a little bit of on the other side. But, yeah, great uh, one-year tenure here in Atlanta for Ryan Nielsen. Now, I know you were familiar with him in the NFC South, right? He came from New Orleans, I believe. So what you saw from him in New Orleans, what he brought to Atlanta, uh, did he change at all over his coaching career at all to this point? Yeah, um, you know, down in New Orleans, they were base 4-3. Uh, you know, Cam Jordan was the uh, stud uh, in down there for years. They uh, led the league in sacks from his period of 2017 to 222 with 280, 282 sacks. Uh, but they played a more traditional 4-3, uh, evolved into kind of a, a hybrid 3-4 here, 3-4, uh, 4-3 mix where they could slide it in and out. Uh, he's going to try to, um, you know, bring his linebackers to, you know, he's going to get some pressure however he can get it if, he can get it with the front four, fine. If he can't, you know, he'll bring it from everywhere. Uh, you know, the slot corner, the safety, uh, you know, uh, both linebackers. He's going to try to – he's not going to let the quarterback sit back there and get comfortable, especially on third downs. The Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution here with us on 1010XL. The Jaguars hire Ryan Nielsen as their new defensive coordinator. Nielsen spent last year with the Atlanta Falcons. The Orlando, from what you're saying, it sounds like Nielsen would be considered an aggressive defensive coordinator. Yes, and, you know, but he's got to cover his corners up too, you know. Um, uh, there are times where, uh, you know, uh, if you're going to be going after the quarterback, can't leave those corners out on the island too long. You got to get there. So uh, if you don't have the man corners, he can't do it. So he can play cover shell if he's got to, but uh, he he prefer uh, not 
not to do that. Uh, you know, he had a good uh, all-pro safety in Jesse Bates. I'm sure he'll be, uh, uh, you know, mentioned. He was a big part of helping to, to clean up a lot of things back there. Uh, you know, but, yeah, he likes to get up front with the uh, the tackles. He had Grady Jarrett and David Ayamata for half of the season, and Grady Jarrett got hurt. Uh, so he's done it a couple different ways uh, in New Orleans and here. You know, it's interesting in that Jacksonville reportedly asked to interview him a couple of weeks ago after Arthur Smith was fired, and reportedly the Falcons denied that request, and then all of a sudden they opened up their coaches to speak to other teams. Do you know anything about how that all went down? Yeah, um, you know, they wanted to, you know, starting out their search, you know, at, at ground zero, they wanted to um, have the coaches who were under contract available for the new coach if he wanted them. But as they've moved into their search, they uh, have seen who some of the potential candidates are and who they would be bringing on their staff. So uh, that has allowed them to review those initial decisions on a case-by-case -case basis. And, um, you know, Dwayne Lefford, the line coach, missed out on the Giants' job. Uh, Marquise Williams uh, was uh, asked to be interviewed for some jobs too. But um, so they must be pleased with what they're hearing from the candidates uh, that they've interviewed um, about the defensive coordinator position that allowed them to, to let Ryan Nielsen go before they even have their coach pick. A couple of more for D. Orlando Edbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You mentioned some of the assistants under Ryan Nielsen. And again, I'm asking you to, to guess here, but you certainly know better than we do here in Jacksonville. Do you think it's possible Nielsen wants to bring anybody that was on his staff in Atlanta with him to Jacksonville? Yeah, possibly. Jerry Gray is, you know, gets a lot of credit for uh, helping with the secondary and helping uh, Nielsen. You know, they, you know, Jerry has uh, been a longtime veteran coach, but he's close to Arthur Smith. Uh, you know, Nielsen didn't bring the staff together. It was it wasn't his staff. He does coach the defensive line, so you'll have those guys there. Frank Bush was already here uh, as the linebackers coach under Arthur Smith, um, so you know he could be a candidate. Uh, and then Steve Jackson was uh, here for the uh, from the Bengals, you know, so he doesn't have a lot of connections to these guys. They kind of brought him uh, in to uh, go with some of Arthur Smith's guys the original staff guys, and uh, uh, they really weren't connected before here in Atlanta. You know, it's interesting you say that, and I want to throw some future Falcon questions at you here in one moment in the time we have left. Uh, as far as you mentioned the secondary, now we've already seen things online. Is he man-to-man? -man? Is he zone? He likes to get after the quarterback, but you alluded earlier, how does that affect the secondary? How do you assess, D. Orlando, the Falcons secondary this year under Nielsen? What type of coverage did they run primarily? They were primarily zone, but, uh, and you know, uh, there's some games where they would go zone man. They mixed it up a lot. Uh, Jesse, um, you know, they, they left. Uh, Richie Grant and man too much, and he got beat by tight ends. They couldn't, they couldn't fix that. Uh, and so later on in the year, they started playing uh, some big nickel packages with three safeties, and that that seemed to work for them. Uh, you know, moving Grant down and putting Helms and Bates back uh, deep. But uh, Clark Phillips was a, a rookie they got in the fourth round out of Utah that they were leaving in man coverage late in the season, 
And, you know, traveling, A.J. Uh, Terrell was the top receiver from the other team. So his preference is man, but uh, if he can't play it, you know, you know they, uh, they'll they try to, you know, cover it up with whatever they have to, to uh, allow them to play coverage if they have to. Well, while we have you here again, Ryan Nielsen coming from the Falcons to the Jaguars. He was available because Arthur Smith was fired a couple of weeks ago. And boy, Atlanta is at the center of the coaching carousel. Do Orlando? I mean, you hear Jim Harbaugh for a second interview. We know Bill Belichick for a second interview. You're certainly the guy in Atlanta to ask when it comes to covering the Falcons. What do you think ultimately happens there with their head coaching search? Yeah, well, we uh, we had I had a story on January the 11th identifying Coach Belichick as the target of the Falcons. Um, you know, certainly they'll go through the process and uh, they'll uh, certainly uh, try to you know inter- interview everybody, comply with all the rules, but feel it fully expect that to you know him being their number one target, uh, Raheem Morris as a, a second target, and then from there, you know. Uh, Maybe some of these other candidates impress them, and uh, they go in a different direction. Uh, uh, Mike Vrabel is going to come in and talk. Uh, it's pretty clear they think they're further down the road uh, than a lot of people think they are, and I think they're closer to returning to the playoffs. You know, they don't need a quarterback, but they they don't appear ready to go with another coordinator who's guessing. They want a proven winner, uh, a head coach who knows what he's doing. He's not out there you know, experiment for the first time. And uh, that's why you've seen head coaching, uh, former head coaches be a part of this uh, interviewing process like Belichick, Harbaugh, Vrabel, Raheem Morris, all those guys have been head coaches before. D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Final question. I mean, if it were to be Belichick, if you're right, and again, you had that story, what, over two weeks ago now, if that were to be the case, I mean, what does that do to that city? You're you're as familiar with that city as anybody. I mean, Bill Belichick coming to coach the Atlanta Falcons. If that happens, what does what does their city think about that? Yeah, well, they're automatically relevant now. Um, you know, they're they're back on the block as far as being talked about and uh, uh, being a, a team that you you know uh, that has the coach who's won and dominated the league for the last you know couple decades. So. Uh, now, uh, what you know, you're gonna get some players in here. You gotta get a quarterback. After that, he's gonna be able to do it without that. So, uh, yeah, it it would boost the profile of the Falcons and make them, um, you know, at least on paper, until they get some more players in here, a bona fide contender in the NFC South. Yeah, it would look very strange seeing the hoodie there with Bill Belichick in the ATL, but it might happen. In fact, it looks like it would be a surprise maybe at this point if it does not happen. D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Really appreciate you joining us on short notice. Thank you as always, my friend, and we'll talk again soon. Sure, no problem, Ryan. Thanks for having me. And thank you to D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark to talk about the Jaguar brand new defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen, one year in Atlanta as the D.C. previous defensive coordinator in New Orleans. He now replaces Mike Caldwell as the defensive coordinator here in Jacksonville. My big takeaway of the evening, well, there it is right there, right? The healing process has begun. Look, the Jaguars two-plus weeks ago had the biggest collapse in the history of the franchise. And since that point, all we've talked about 
is the frustration, anger, coaches being fired. It has not been a pleasant two-and-a-half-week period here in Jacksonville. But now here we go, right? The Jaguars hire a new defensive coordinator in Ryan Nielsen. They will begin putting a defensive staff together. Free agency begins, believe it or not, in six weeks. March 11th is the day for free agency, and the Jaguars are going to have to figure out about their in-house guys, from Trey Herndon to Ezra Cleveland, other guys in between, and obviously the two big ones in Calvin Ridley and Josh Allen. So it's a process. It's a process. It's a process. And that process began, the 2024 offseason really began with the hiring of brand-new defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen, again, who was up in Atlanta last year with the Falcons. My other big takeaway was the divisional round of the playoffs. You had some great games, Baltimore over Houston, Kansas City over Buffalo, and now you get the Ravens and the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson for the right to go to the Super Bowl. How good is that going to be on Sunday afternoon? You also have America's darling, right, the Detroit Lions in their first NFC Championship game in three-plus decades as they will head out to San Francisco to take on the 49ers. Look, San Francisco, it was survive in advance, man. That's what it was, and that's what they did. You know, we say that every time around this year, survive in advance. 49ers did that. I think Green Bay outplayed them for a majority of that game, yet San Francisco found a way to win the game in the end. So that's the final four in the National Football League. In the AFC side, Chiefs at Ravens. NFC side, Lions at 49ers. We will have guys on from each of those markets this week to preview Championship Sunday right here on Hacker After Dark. Well, that'll just about do it for what has been a very busy Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark. We certainly appreciate you guys for hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We have a ton of people to thank. D. Orlando Ledbetter, again, of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Always enjoy the conversation. Talking Ryan Nielsen. Also, thank you to my buddy John Michaels, 680 The Fan, up in Atlanta as we had him on to talk about Ryan Nielsen as well. And the thought up there from both D. Orlando Ledbetter and John Michaels, two guys very much in the know there in Atlanta, is that it will be Bill Belichick. That is the expectation, is that Bill Belichick will be the next head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. And boy, how interesting will that be in the ATL coming up here in 2024. So thank you to both of those guys for joining me tonight. And of course, Monday nights around here mean Monday night coaching with Campo. We always appreciate the head coach, Dave Campo, for joining us to react to the divisional round of the playoffs preview championship Sunday as well so again thank you to my buddy Dave Campo now we will be back tomorrow night on a Tuesday and ladies and gentlemen of Jacksonville Florida let me ask you a question where else would you rather be I mean where else would you rather be on a Tuesday night from 10 o'clock to midnight than right here with Dylan Denmark and yours truly on our late night show on Hacker After Dark and we do certainly hope that you join us then. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. Again, I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Monday evening with us 
right here on Hacker After Dark, on 1010XL, and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Monday evening, and we will do it all over again tomorrow night on a Tuesday beginning at 10 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.